Hey everybody, welcome back to Beers and Careers. This is your host, Mark Augustinelli. And as always, Beers and Careers is brought to us by the Davis Companies. www.davisco's.com That's D-A-V-I-S-C-O-S.com Davis can help you find talent or potentially your next role. Check them out. Um, today's guest is Renz Hayes. Um, Renz is the man, but uh, we had an awesome conversation where we talked about a number of things. He always wanted to start his own company, so we first document that, but then we really transitioned to how he works on his business constantly, and uh, it turned into a pretty inspiring conversation I think is going to make you um, want to work on your business should you be in that uh, situation. So this podcast is probably for everyone, anyone looking for a job, um, thinking about their career path, or someone who's in a gamefully employed job, but from a business leadership standpoint and wants to uh, refine their business and work on it. So check it out and uh, let us know what you think. Cheers. Renz. Let's do it. Hayes. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. I feel like we've been talking about this for a little while, too. We just finally finally were able to sit down and bang it all out. Got on the schedule. Couple busy dads. Dad running companies. Um, I think that having Renz on the podcast was a really good idea for a couple of reasons. One, I found it interesting you knew what you wanted to do early in your life. I think people would be envious of that, but I don't think that defines your whole story. And I think as I've learned about your background, uh, the entrepreneurial piece, but also the evolution of your vision for your, org- your company that you have today and your own personal and professional goals are relatable for people who do know what they want to be doing at age 16, 18, and those that are still figuring out at 30. So that was the reason why I thought you'd be a good guy to share your non-linear career path with us on Beers and Careers, which is basically what the whole thing's about. Let's hope I deliver. Yeah, right. You're right. It's non-linear, right? It's not how you draw it up. A hundred percent. The greatest farce in higher education. (laughs) Um, Let's let the audience get to know you. It's a Monday afternoon. You're having a coffee. I'm drinking water. But if we could have a cocktail, what is your favorite cocktail or drink? Right now, I'm going pineapple high noon or rum punch. And there, no. there's an importance to the rum punch. It's got to be with Gosling's dark rum. Okay. So you're making rum punch. Yeah. Copying the rum punch from Barnacle Billy's in a gunquit, Maine. That's the best rum punch we ever had. And we just sat at home with all the rum and tried to recreate it. Really? I think we nailed it. Nice. Awesome. That's very, by the way, that's very specific and uh, unique. I like that. And pineapple, high noon. Yeah. Cool. I dig it. I'm a watermelon guy, too. Watermelon and pineapple are the two. I throw the watermelons back. You don't like, yeah. yeah they're good. They're good. <laughs> I thought you were going to say out. I was like, you liar. Liar. Um, do you have a favorite curse word? F-bomb. For F-bomb, sure. yeah. It's the most versatile it's, word in the English language. A, it's a perennial favorite. <laughs> um, do you have any guilty pleasures? Guilty pleasures. Other than golf? Golf is definitely one of them, although I have no guilt over it. Yeah, it's um, fair. It's the same. M&M's would be my cheat. Okay. If, if there's M&M's around, I'm going to pick at them until they're gone. Standard or peanut? Standard, but I, I can get down with peanut. Cool. Dig. Um, you're a quote guy. I am a quote guy. Do you have a favorite quote on top of your head you'd share with the group? Top of my head. Ah, I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, what's the one I made a post today on LinkedIn about uh, chopping wood and it relates to an Abraham Lincoln one. I'm oh yeah. Say it verbatim. If I had six but hours. But talking about if I, if I had one hour to chop wood, I'd spend 45 minutes sharpening my axe. Yes, which I love. Just a message. I think that's been referenced on the podcast before, which is an excellent one. It's really good. 
it's like, what are you doing to better yourself rather than just execute your tasks every day? I, I love that too. I also interpret it as like slow down. Cause I think oftentimes as a, I'm going to say a younger business professional, but I would honestly say that I've had thoughts like this within the last two weeks. I'm always raring to go when in reality, the, the right thing to do is like stop, pause, who's involved, how should I manage this change? What's the thing I should be doing and then go execute? That was a learned behavior for Mark. Important. Um, two things that I really focus on a lot is there's a difference between efficient and effective. You can be efficient doing the wrong things. Yes. Going in the wrong direction. Effective is doing the right things. Mm. Right. And that's part of slowing down is making sure am I, is what I'm doing the most effective way to approach this goal that or objective I'm trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. And am I going about it in the right way? Which is exactly what the quote is all about. I love, I love that. It's, and it's easy to see, uh, I don't know, for me, it's easy to be like, I can imagine myself as a 15-year-old kid. If I had that hour, I would have gone out right away and just started hacking just away. hacking away. Yeah, probably with the wrong side of the axe. <laughs> just yeah. like, I'll get this thing done. <laughs> the um, wrong axe. Right. I also think what hurts you sometimes is being successful with that blunt object and not realizing that sometimes willpower can make you successful when you really could have done it more efficiently. 100%. Yeah. That's actually a really important lesson in any small business right like if let's say you're a five million or a ten million dollar company you're the reason you're a five million or ten million dollar mm. company you're also the reason you're not a 20 million or a 50 million dollar company and it's like the things that got you to where you are today are not the same things that are going to get you where you're trying to go tomorrow mm -hmm. ah so what very well said and makes you check your ego at the door to a degree, doesn't it? Somebody always better. Yeah, you always. as well just compete with yourself. Always. Uh, <laughs> it's, the, it's the truth. It is the truth. So um, the other reason I wanted to have you on is because you are a business owner today. Like, I think that's an important thing. Do you want, why don't you give people kind of the Reader's Digest version, so to speak, of your, where, how you got to where you are today? Go back to the start of my career, how we, I how think, we got I, here? Well, I think it's important to know that Start with the high school. I think it's important to know that you knew you wanted to, what you wanted to do in high school and how you got to that decision. Yeah, and like you said, that that was um, I almost feel fortunate that I had such clarity in high school. So my background, I grew up in my family's steel business. My father's had a structural steel and miscellaneous iron. We build stairs, railings, and fabricate and install the structural steel for steel buildings. So I grew up in that environment. And as we're going through high school, I'm working in the shop and in the field, working with steel. And instead of just saying, I'm gonna go ride in the family business behind my dad, I'm like, how do I bring additional value to the company that's not just learning everything he knows? Mm. And that's, and I was good at math. We were talking about it, like terrible at English back then. Couldn't, had no desire to read any book ever or write. I just wanted to do anything except that. And being a math guy, building buildings, I was like, I'm gonna be an engineer. I'll go figure out how to design these and then we can design the building and build them and that'll be awesome. Mm. And that's how I ended up going down the engineering track. Mm. That led me to WPI, yes. which uh, yeah, I never have, I don't have any other experience to, to compare it to. Like I always think that's a hard thing in college. Like how yes. was your program? How was your college? It's yes. like, I only know one experience, but for, for the sake of this conversation, like I had a great experience here, great people, good culture, Learned what I needed to learn, got the job done, had fun playing some soccer, D3 soccer. Mm -hmm. It's a good time. And uh, that led me to the professional world. And I can say that uh, as someone who places engineers for a living, although not civil structural, 
mechanical electrical quality process software, we love we love our WPI grads, yes. and we know our customers love WPI grads. So I'm sure the experience was uh, positive, but also challenging. Yes, um, being a recruiter, yes. I'm sure you've interviewed plenty of engineers. Mm. I'm starting to see a trend in the quality of candidates coming out of colleges. Being poor, more not as strong. Solid or not as strong. Yeah. We'll leave those colleges off for yeah. the sake of. Yeah. But I definitely notice a difference. So you you know the types of I, I'm starting to see a trend in the experience they're getting through mm. their college program. Interesting. Yeah, I've um, I've often part of the inspiration for the podcast actually was how I think poor of a job higher ed does and I don't, there's no one responsible for this I just think that's the way the model evolved but like in helping people choose career paths it's very like well choose your major and what interests you and those types of things and I think there's a whole group of people that need to hear what someone's day to day is like and how they talk and how they articulate their thoughts mm-hmm. to be inspired to be like I want to go do what that guy does or that woman does or whatever and so that's why we started the podcast and I, I think when you combine that force of like I don't know what I want to do with the fact that uh, I think most people go to college at this point because it's the next logical step as opposed to for a particular reason. I think you're going to get outcomes that are unfortunately not even in the school's control to a degree. So it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, education and higher education is not an easy puzzle to solve, right? Ripe for disruption. You You even look back and talk about all the things like just the everyday skills, financial literacy, like how do you do your taxes, those mm. sorts of things. Building a career, what's the cost of living gonna be when you actually are living on your own? Like yes. what's rent costs, what's buying a house, how does a mortgage work? Um, and then you think back to trying to explain that to a 16 and 18 year old, it's like back then I was just doing classes to get a grade to go about my day and get back to my social life. Like would that resonate with that mm. age group as much as we think it should? So but true. you don't have that perspective until you're, until you're an adult, right? right? When the when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I learn way more now than I ever did in school. It's same, same, and I think it kind of started happening in college, but certainly years into the business world, I was like, all right, now I want to keep learning because you saw the value of it too. Exactly. So in college, on the courses that weren't gunning for my career. Mm-hmm. Bare minimum did what I had to get by. Yeah. If something like the fundamentals of engineering and designing steel or concrete, like I was 100% focused because I knew why I needed to learn it. I didn't understand why I needed chemistry. Mm -hmm. Didn't matter to me. Yes. I think that's such a important point for every for everyone though when they consider their careers is things do things are easier when you're focused. Motivation is easier to come up with when you're determined. In purpose, right? Yeah, the a purpose is better is what way. Gives you determination. Yes, the, the why. I think 100%. I, so, what I know you, we both graduated in 08, and then you continued to get your master's. I'm two years younger. You I graduated in 2010, was my undergrad. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. And then you, oh, tr- and, and in 12, you finished with your master's. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. I did All it right. part time yeah. as yeah. it worked. Um, but that was a terrible time to get a job. Yes. <laughs> Just that whole, I mean, especially. If I'm correct, because my father is a structural engineer as well, I, I, I generally know that sometimes uh, that industry, not everyone, but as a whole, it's a, kind of a lagging uh, industry in terms of economic recovery to a degree. New uh, projects? 
real estate can sometimes can be like the indicator of what's happening, right? Real okay. estate starts to slow. I would say the lag happens is you're kind of finishing the book of work that's already under contract. You're just not seeing the new contracts line up. Line that's up. kind of the indicator. Yes. Yes. So yeah. Okay. That that makes a ton of sense. But what I loved about it was you stayed persistent. You got a role. I think you you mentioned quite quickly. You knew it wasn't yeah. for you, but so, you want to talk so, about that? So coming out of college. 2010 looking for a full-time job it's the the big 2008 recession we're still coming out i applied to probably 40 companies Mm -hmm. like i sent in the resume the cover letter i never went in through the careers at email right i never went through a formal process i didn't care if they had a job opening or not Mm -hmm. i was using owners names i just making them up first initial last name last name company and i was sending my resume direct to them with my cover letter short and sweet and I always tried to prompt to get a response. So I would make my claim, I'd highlight a couple things about the company that I loved, which is why I wanted to talk to them, and then I made a commitment that I would follow up with them in two weeks if I didn't hear back. Mm. And what that did is say, I need to respond to this guy yeah, because he's gonna call me in two weeks regardless, right. so I'm either gonna tell him no or yes, and then if I follow up in two weeks, it's not necessarily me being a pest, it's me following up on my word. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I framed it back then. And. Most of the companies that I was really gunning for, I wanted to work on large-scale buildings, high-rise, that sort of thing, they were all laying people off. So they're like, hey, you're a great potential hire, but we're laying people off. We can't do that. Let's stay in touch. And so I was staying in touch, Mm -hmm. and I found a job, um, ASAP Engineering, in Middleborough, and we were designing high-end houses, which wasn't as affected by the market, right? Like it's it's your top 1% people building houses on the ocean in the Cape. So like, that doesn't go away. They, that, it was a small company. There was plenty of work for that company. I got to my my bearings in like the working professional mm-hmm. world, and then ten months later, I got the shot at a, a larger firm in Boston to get exposed to that high rise, like twenty four story building was the building I started working on immediately. Very cool. And a bunch of like sprawling retail plazas. I did probably like one and a half million square square feet of market basket plazas. Mm. All right. Was the you always wanted the high rise, as you've mentioned. Was it everything you hoped for when you got there? Like it's the actual, like the work? The work? I, I would say there is a thrill about doing something tall. Yeah. Like, there is still that, like... <laughs> Such a kid. It, it's sexy, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not like this big, sprawling thing. Right. Like, you have to look up to see the top. Like, those are... there. There's a resume check on it. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I learned as I got into it is a lot of people are kind of lured into that type of design world because they want that resume. They want to learn that. They want to gain that technical ability and, and be able to kind of point to it and go, it's so hard to be in a car with us driving by. It's like I designed that yeah, building, yeah. that building. You don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> but after doing that for 10 years, it loses its appeal. Yeah. Like, so I've gained all this. I've climbed this mountain. And now I, I feel like I don't know where I'm going. I'm not getting trained in anything else. I don't see my next career opportunity. My compensation's not going up as much as I can. It kind of feels like a ceiling. And those are grinds, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's high pressure, high money. Yeah. Um, and, and that can really create a lot of burnout. So where people in that like 10, 12 year mark of their career in our industry tend to kind of go to real estate development or leave the industry. Uh-huh. Interesting. Um, and that was fundamental in us kind of launching H&M, kind of jumping the, yeah, that's all right. my career. But that was fundamental to us starting H&O is we wanted to find a way to keep the talent in structural engineering mm-hmm. by opening up the business. We call it getting beyond the project. Okay. In traditional architecture engineering, people are just trained on how to design a building. 
and they don't learn the other aspects of the building, uh, of the business yes. and the career process. And now we're opening everything up to teach them organizational strategies, strategic planning, marketing, sales. We do open book financial management. And what that really does is it gives people context and makes it gives you, you're able to do your individual job better with that context. You make decisions better, mm-hmm. right? Effective, efficient, way more effective with context. I, I, I liken that to um, my mom always was like, when are you going to go back and get your MBA? And I was fortunate here to work at a company with similar philosophies, open book management. Uh, we're going to get you involved in all the whys behind we make these decisions, similar kind of thing, right? And then I grew up in a sales world, which makes you lucky because you have to be in finance and ops, et cetera, just to, just to live in that world. And I was, I've always said, like, well, I'm getting my MBA. I, I'm living it. And I feel like what yes. you just said is you're basically providing people a legit MBA with, like, real case studies that they're actually working on. Um, so you didn't get your MBA? Never went back. And I, and I don't... I made the same career decision not to not get to it. Not to get it. I got it. I don't think it's hurt me yet. Not at all. Yeah. And I don't think it will. If yeah. it hasn't yet, it's not going to. Well, I think the only the only negative I think that could come up, the fear I have, and it's not really a fear because I don't see myself going this way, but if you ever wanted to work at like a billion-dollar industry, in our industry, the billion-dollar behemoths, they tend to have MBAs on their, in their executive. But I think that's going to change as we, as we move forward. It already has. Yeah. You just got to be able to communicate why it's not important. A hundred percent. Right. And the value you bring. What what risks are there that I don't have an MBA? What right. what things are you thinking I might be missing? It's it's and so then true. Let them lay them out and then just knock them down. It's one by it's one. it's so true. No, that's so that's so funny. I love I love that style. But I also think before we get into H and O, because I want to tell, I think that's a really cool story. I think it's really cool that you also you realize that the company you're working for probably wasn't for you. You went. Back to your family. It wasn't my long-term solution, right? right? Like I kind of saw the career ceiling and the challenges there, but I knew I had a ton to learn in engineering. Mm. Um, Part of becoming a professional engineer, you have to get a degree, but then you also have to work under a licensed professional for four years and then take a test. Mm. So I was trying to get into the biggest, like most detailed, complicated engineering I could so that I could learn everything so that I could be successful on my own. And Wait, so how quickly did you know that you were going to hit a career ceiling there? That it wasn't a long-term fit for you? I want to say I, I probably showed up, if I were to be honest. I probably showed up knowing that I was going to see a career ceiling because i am I got a pretty big aspirations. Yes, okay. Going back to high school, the reason I thought I was going to run, I was going to go into structural engineering, but I also knew I was going to run my own business. Is mm-hmm. Everybody in my life, I, I lived in, our, in Norton, Mass, Yeah. were my friend's parents, Everybody I saw that was successful were my friends' parents. They ran their own small business. Mm. I didn't know anybody in my life that made, like, uh, that was in, a like, wonderful a living. Cor- yeah, in, a, in, the in, in corporate America. Yeah, I only saw small business. So in my mind, that was the only way I knew how to do it. So I had already huh. made that decision that that was my best shot. And showing up to this company, I kind of saw the makeup, at, like, within the first six months that I wasn't going to have the career run out. Awesome. There. But you stayed. I had so much to learn. Yeah. So I did stay and I learned a ton. They're honest. They are a great company. They're a great team. So, um, so different though, because I thought you were about to say, I knew it might have a career limiter for me because of my ego, but you chose the word aspiration, which I think is phenomenal, right? (laughs) Like I just like thinking about the way you're communicating that aspiration, but then humble enough to be like, I got a lot to learn. And I bet it served you so well later. 
it did a lot in relationships as well. Like my now business partner was a colleague there. Yeah. And I actually, <laughs> yeah. not to compare myself to Jeff Bezos, it's kind of weird. Uh, but one of the things he did when he left like Wall Street, right, to start Amazon is like he's talking to these highly technical financial people. Mm. And he recognized like, I'm never, I'm not that guy. Yes. When I talk to my business partner about engineering, mm-hmm. who he's also, he's incredibly personable, somebody you want to have a beer with, definitely want to play golf with, although he'd probably take your money. Um, Challenge accepted. I'm not, I'm not his level of engineer. He's yes. like that 0.01% engineer mm-hmm. that I never will aspire to be. I'm not that right. interested in becoming as good as he is. Yes. But we're an awesome partnership. Yeah. And I value that so much. Interesting. But I was glad that I, before, going back to ego, I used to look at that and be like, I got to become that. I can be better than him. Mm-hmm. And instead, now I'm like, I have my strengths. They yes. have their strengths, and that's okay. Let's figure out how to put them together so that, like, one plus one does equal more than two mm-hmm. when you can do it right. It's such a, it sucks because there's no easy way to learn that lesson. There isn't. You got to just live it. And as Gary Vee says, it's just eat shit. Mm-hmm. You got to eat shit. Like, to do it from the For sure. lowest man in the totem pole and then be like, oh, I get it. Yep. And recognize skills and strengths. So now I love that part, and I love you. Got to tell the story about how you didn't just go and launch your business, though. So because that's cool too. I think they're very thoughtful, methodical, and to go back to your quote, really relates to rather than I'm going to go chop this tree down, being start my own business. Let yeah. me sharpen this. I, I guess a theme there too is how do you de-risk what you're trying to achieve, right? True. Um, so coming out of very working in that down, very engineering of you. Very engineering. D-risk. It's an organizational it's a core. business. It is. It's, it is. Business is all risk, right? Like it is. And mitigation. Founders between being leaders or growing into like a more executive, it, it's understanding risk and not being too scared of it. True. Because a lot of times the fear of in, the fear, the, the cost of inaction is often far greater than the cost of action. Yes. And you learn way more from being active. You can pivot from doing making the wrong decision. hundred percent. We'll change it later. We'll change later. Amen. That's it. I, I interrupted you though. No problem. So coming out of that, I had the decision, like I was considering like trying to go to like MIT Sloan to get my MBA mm. or my family business is still there. My dad was, was growing, had these opportunities and made the decision to, instead of do that, I'm going to go learn business, but I'm going to commit to reading and learning everything I can so that I can be as good at running a business as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. So that was my decision. I'm not going to pay there. I'm going to go earn a living. I'm going to help the family business and I'm going to um, and that same time started doing engineering on the side, just really in support of the steel company. There's like mutual clients there. So like I had natural deal flow come in. So just small stuff, but it kind of got the wheels turning, got people used to me. And my business partner, Jeremiah O'Neill was also working on the side, helping out doing that stuff, kind of got him exposed to the opportunity there. Um, and in jumping into that family business, we really, I kind of felt like you're reading all these books and everything like that, right? And I felt like I had all this business knowledge and clarity. I had absolutely no clue where to start. Mm. I always felt like I was solving problems from the middle. So you you, you go over Mm. here in operations, you fix one thing, you create a system, then you stop paying attention to that, you go over to this other system and management or estimating, you fix that system and this other one got, and I'm like, I feel like I yo-yo in here and I don't know where to start. Um, Hamster wheel of death. It's the hamster wheel. Uh, so if I were to expand, we ended up launching H&O while I was still running the steel company. We were having success at the steel company. 
we ended up growing about eight, 10 X in, in four to five years. That's awesome. And throughout that time we were sharing and talking about the opportunity in the engineering world. There's a lot, of, there's a handful of big firms and then there's a lot of engineers that work out of their garage. The middle market wasn't really well served and we had experience at the top. So yeah. we're like, there's this massive market where we are going to deliver a far greater service and value than everybody like right out of the gate. So we're going to climb that ladder pretty quick. Let's go for it. So you knew what market you wanted to seize. Yeah. So pretty early on. We did. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense from a business standpoint, but it, it was really, that's where you're getting more calculated. You're like, I know I want to run a business, but where do I fit in the jigsaw of the industry I serve? Yeah. You got to have a go to market strategy, right? hundred percent. And while we could have designed your, $500 million high rise with just the two of us out of the gate. Mm -hmm. Like it's not realistic for somebody spending $500 million in a building to trust two guys that just left a company. To True. Stay. So we had to build a business from like, we did a few houses. We were doing three family flips. Mm -hmm. We were doing smaller 10 store, 10 unit buildings and, and corporate renovations. And that just continued to snowball. And now we do our, we're back in like the large scale high rise multifamily awesome. world. And how long was that whole process? So we are entering, this summer will be year six. So we're in our fifth year right now. Awesome. But it took us about, I would say three years to get our first high rise under belt and that thing's in construction now. They have long, yeah, they, they have oh long my life God, cycles. Yeah, it's insane. What is the average life cycle? Um, you can have a small building that, that can go around pretty quick, but even from the time you start, let's call it a 30 unit residential building, mm -hmm. your construction cycle is gonna be hard pressed to be shorter than a year. Yeah, And the permitting and design process before that's probably six to nine months before that. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of coming up on a two year design to finish open date, just, just, just in the small stuff. right? And then you throw in Boston zoning, Boston approvals, and high rise, like your, your construction cycle can be several years, two, yes. three years, your permitting process can be two years. So it's a, it's a different animal. Yeah, oh, I can imagine. And that can be the hook, that 10 to 12 year uh, engineer is working on this exciting project, right? They're not thrilled with their career or where it's going, but they, they take pride and they want to see this thing through. And then it's a five year job. Yes. They're locked in for five years. Yeah, that's right. And very it's interesting. Kind of, it's like a retention piece. What I love when you were telling the story too was, I, I didn't know that you kind of went at it from a, how do I retain people too in structural engineering and design build firms. I think that's a unique uh, thought to have so early, right? Especially, I think most people think of people starting businesses just being like, I want to make as much money as possible, but you were thinking about it really long term and then the impact of the industry. But also what I loved about your story was you didn't just try to do the work yourself. You thought about, you were, run, you were running two businesses at once, but you did a lot of, I would say, laying the foundation work. Yeah, that's will. a good way to put it. So yeah. running, we're running Ren's Welding. My father's still there. He's a huge part of the success there. Um, and Jeremiah joins us at Ren's Welding to help manage that growth. And why, this is 2016, summer okay. 2016. And instead of creating a website and pounding the pavement, just trying to drive as much engineering work to say that we're running and doing all our engineering work, we literally just started building design processes and training modules and like building a business framework because mm. we knew the intent was to grow and become a nationally recognized brand, mm. not try to build a small business that made us 10, 20, whatever, yeah. $20 this year. Like the yeah. goal was to build the long-term sustainable business that was going to continue to scale. So we wanted to build a business first. Mm. And then honestly, through word of mouth and like 
people that knew us in the industry. Boston's not that big of a city. No, it's not. Uh, we generated enough work even while doing that with no website in six to eight months to where Jeremiah had to leave, go full-time. We had to hire somebody full-time and go downtown, and that's when we launched our first website. Wow. What did you get wrong during your ideating, building the business period that in reality didn't work anything? In particular, that you look back on and be like, oh, man, missed that? The... Uh, I guess if I were to reframe now, you're asking like maybe my biggest mistake in business so far. Like, did, was there anything you spent time on before you went public, so to speak? Like building the infrastructure of the company, the, the tenants of it, that in reality was unnecessary? I, I would say the framework we built, like it has continued to grow. Like that is an ever-growing thing. So yes. to try to say that that was a waste. Oh, okay. As you were saying, just term. an evolution. Like it, it's going to evolve. Like if you create a process today, yes. if that process was untouched in five years, it's probably not because the process was perfect. It's because no one's paid attention. A hundred percent. Not sharpening their axe. Right. Going back to the so the, so was, you just viewed it as a living, breathing document. It's a living, yeah. breathing document. So like what we did at the time was appropriate for the time, and it's since evolved. Yes. Tremendously. I think it's a mistake people make though that they view that as a ego hit as opposed to being adaptable to what's going on. For sure. Very interesting. All right. Very cool. And then from there, now you've got how many people at the organization? We are, we're approaching 20 right now. Very cool. And you're located downtown? We're located downtown right on uh, 100 Summer Street outside of South Station. Awesome. And while we're on the topic of it, can you just share the, the contact details of H&M? So people want to check you out. Yeah. You can catch us at hayesoneil.com. That's H-A-Y-E-S-O-N-E-I-L-L.com. Um, and if you, I'm really active on LinkedIn, so I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'm, I'm posting thought leadership every day on, on culture, organizational practice, uh, creating value, identifying blind spots, all those sorts of stuff. So uh, you'll find my name, Renz Hayes, uh, right on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Love to, collect, love to uh, engage with you there. And if you follow me, I will most certainly be tagging Renz very shortly. So um, you'll have access to that. Now, this pivot you've gone through, because I've noticed you're much more active. Like, how do you how do you go about that? The sharing of things on social and building your brand and network. We talked about it a little bit before we hit play on it being a you know, part of it being an outcome of a TA goal. But I'm sure you're doing it for many reasons. It's become uh, for our size right now is our biggest lever. Like, I think it's important mm. for organizational leaders to create a, a personal brand out there. Be vocal. Be present yes and have thought leadership that align with company values mm. and their strategy right like yes do, what problem do you solve right and how do you solve it mm -hmm. right and who are you trying to connect with uh chris walker is a friend of mine from college actually launched refine labs who okay. is like a leading marketing company right now in the country and really founded on demand generation and he he was leading his career through I don't want to butcher his career, but he was a marketer for like tech startups and that sort of thing. And he essentially identified that like your trip, your typical like marketing attribution, all the, the metrics to show that you're a good marketer, like aren't really that effective. Mm. What really is effective is when you get out there, create brand awareness to like the problem you solve and the value you create, you create a community, right? It's, it's all those things. It's like, I didn't find you in a Google search. It's like my friend heard you on a podcast, told me how great you were, and then I Googled you to click on your website. So true. So it he kind of flipped the whole model, and he did it through creating like a de 
you're creating demand for your brand, right? Because mm-hmm. like, people know why you exist. That's the whole idea of like being niche in a business is if you don't have a niche, people get confused as to like what problem you solve. So they right. don't know when to talk to you. Right. So in an up market or a down market, like you're actually more at risk in a down market if you don't if your clients don't actually know why they use you. If they view you as a commodity, you're in a tough spot. So, so true. So you want to be super focused and there's no better way to, to reinforce that than posting thought leadership daily. Like on LinkedIn, I actively connect with my target market. I just go on there. There's an architecture company I want to work with. Connect, 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 connect. connect. Mm-hmm. I ask for nothing. I don't send them a cheesy message. I don't have an automated anything. I just hope, like, I don't know, even know what my hit rate is, but if yeah. they accept my connection, I now have free access to their newsfeed right. that I can say exactly what I want to say every single day. It's like being in their office once a day. For oh, that's how you look at it. Right? Do you plan what you're going to say daily? Are you using a tool for that, like just out of curiosity? I, when I'm ahead of myself, I am very much a visionary person. So yeah. if I had to say time management isn't always my best thing. Fair. I'm kind of a uh, like Flat squirrel. Words. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fair. But uh, I, I like to think that when, when I am on the game, I'm, I'm highly effective, so I'm doing something right. But, yeah. Uh, I honestly, often writing it the morning of, like I just kind of okay. schedule my time around 8.30 to 9.30. I try to post at nine every day. Yeah. So I'm usually doing my thought leadership like from 8.30 to nine and I'm engaging for the next half hour on comments and other people that are like around my, my world. But I'm really actively, so on there with thought leadership, I'm trying to post things to attract prospective employees mm. and prospective clients. Mm. And I think working with value aligned people is like the most important thing in life. Like I will never chase revenue and compromise my values. No. It's just not worth it. It's not at all. Not even close. Like all. you think it does, and it might be short term, mm-hmm. but long term, like the debt that you're paying on that is is far worse than you always gotta pay the man. The concepts of management debt and technical debt were like eye opening for me. T- talk to me about that. So Because I don't know I guess I don't understand I mean I get what you're saying having lived in Sure. Lived in that world, but I but I don't get it from a learned experience. Let's just say if I'm not even a coder, but yeah. this is the example that's coming to mind. If yeah. you if you have to write code to solve a problem in software, yes. there's a fast way and yeah. there's a right way that you could build on later. Mm. If you choose the fast way, right, and that decision happens a few times in the row, you're eventually gonna have to come all the way back and do it the right way. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's technical debt. And okay. if I think of that in process or in my world we're creating design drawings and details, it's like if you take the shortcut every single time, like we're not improving the business, we're just executing tasks. So let's take the time to sharpen our axe. Do it the right way. I mean, I mean, that makes it sound, in my meathead translation, that's like at the gym being like, keep it light, do it right. Keep it light. Right? I mean, right. that's the meathead <laughs> translation. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's a, chasing money is, is everywhere. I think especially with it's the rise of to. social media too. Chasing money is a hard thing. It depends on your position, right? Like, it's it's nice to say when you're you're sitting comfortable in a in a twelve year bull market. So true. Right, saying like, hey, values are everything. When true. you have money and opportunity everywhere. Right. Can you say that when times are tight? Mm-hmm. I'd like to think we will. Yeah. And I I, I would say we will because we have long term vision. Mm-hmm. Because I know the risk of making a bad decision, like culture debt is the hardest debt to pay back. It's impossible. It's impossible. Yes. Like that is a long. That's the edge we have as a small company, growing company with with like national vision. Mm-hmm. Is we don't have culture debt yet. We don't have like if you've been around for ten plus years, like 
you've got some scars. Yes. It's, and yes. We had some fortunate experience that put us, like we think, in a really good starting position. We, we worked on our business first. Mm. We're a people-first organization. We're open book financial. Transparency is like fundamental. Yes. And God forbid we have an organizational flaw. Like we're not, it's not just us. It's everybody's been exposed to it. So let's solve the problem together. Yes. That's the idea. So interesting to hear you say that because when I'm thinking about that, uh, we're not. Our problems are very similar, like that we deal with day to day. All Just, businesses are 80% the, the same. They're all the same, right? And um, we have 100 internal employees mm -hmm. about, but uh, what's interesting is managing, and I'm interested, we're gonna have to have you back on when you have 50 people in just a few short years, but, years. but like managing the cultural, managing your cultural debt through the lens of like, there are things that happen that employees do. And as a company, we've always gone. And our owner is like, he'll take it to, he'll take it to his grave. He's like, I'm doing the right thing. Regardless if it's the popular opinion or what's culturally in, he's obviously gonna take care of that person and their mm -hmm. family. And, you know, we don't get public praise or we don't take advantage of that. But then there's other employees who I'm sure have left here and interpret the way we've handled situations very negatively. And in the beginning of my leadership tenure at the company, that stuff used to really bother me. And then as I got more at-bats, I believed in the karma of it all. Yes. I was like, well, you know what? Yeah, I, I can't have everyone be happy. But I got to think that the good faith I'm putting out in the world will come back around. In my experience thus far, I'm 12 years in here, 13 years in, is it has come back. That's awesome. Um, but it's a... It's a it's, a, it's kind of a risky step, if you will. You have to have long-term vision to be able to execute. It's, it's the truth, because, and to your point on the purpose and the why, which, like, I think we could belabor that point, but it sounds so cheesy, and, like, we did the Simon Sinek start with why, but, man, if you don't have it, everything else is kind of just chasing money or, yes. or chasing something that probably isn't grounded in a longer-term ideal. Something pivotal happened to me in my career that really changed my outlook and opened up my eyes to the world of possibility. And this was, we had launched H&O, I was still running Renz Welding. Okay. Got exposed to mergers and acquisitions. Yes. Which is a totally unbiased evaluation of organizational value. It so is. It doesn't matter what you think, what leadership thinks, what your books say. Income like, statements, baby. People are gonna <laughs> tear that company apart. Yes. And. I became upset. I started networking like once a month at M&A things. Mm -hmm. I actually got certified in mergers and acquisitions as a certified value growth advisor. Wow. Which was uh, instrumental. It was the it was a week-long course, took a test, all that, and it was the best investment I've ever made, which I'll kind of get to yeah. the vision values piece. But it, like looking at how they just so I, I just became obsessed with trying to figure out like how do they see value in an organization? Why is a company that has like 1 million in EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, appreciation. It's why is a company that has a million in EBITDA versus 3 million in EBITDA have different multiples? Yes. Right? Like how can a company with the same financial statement have a different multiple? Right. Industry. Which for those who don't know what a multiple means is you take that multiple usually by the EBITDA and that would be what the company is valued at. So you're saying how could two identical companies have different perceived value by the marketplace when yeah. they're financials look basically identical yeah it's like would you pay let's say two 
two companies each make three million a year. One has been declining from five million, hasn't right. invested in their market, their people, their their systems or anything. And the other company is an up and coming merging market, innovative, right, reinvesting capital every single year into the growth of their company, which company is more valuable. Right? Mm -hmm. exactly. When you put it that way, it's, it's obvious. a lot of it's yes. obvious. So the certified value growth advisor program, that answered my big question. Like where where do you start? CVGA. CVGA, okay. Um, corporate value metrics is the company. Ken San Gennario okay. is the founder. He is absolutely brilliant. Um, and what was the company again? Growth what? Um, corporate value metrics. Oh, corporate value metrics, sorry. And in that program, I, I essentially learned the eight, the eight core functions of a business. Mm. Planning, leadership, sales, marketing, mm -hmm. people, operations, finance, and legal. Okay. Most companies are strong in two of those areas, uh. two or three. And they're blind to the other, blind to their deficiencies in the other six. And you know the flaws that they see? Companies good at operations? They only see their flaws in operations. Right, they don't see the... They don't. Which creates imbalance in the organization. Mm. And so if you think of that small business that was, say, 10 people, got really busy for a few years, got up to 15, 20 people, and then crashed back down to 10, mm -hmm. it's because the organizational balance across those eight functions was really only relative for them at 10. They were overstressed at 20. And so if you have imbalance in your company, your, your company-specific risk is higher, which devalues your company. Right. Risk is the inverse of value. Right. That's where I was coming back to. Risk. Right. I love that. I think of risk as a business thing, not engineering. And okay. Okay. Cool. And I think about adding more risk to my life because I tend to be risk adverse. So my CFO is like, we can't be doing that, Mark. Chill out. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm the risk problem. Um, so that was a big aha, right? Yeah, that's huge. That's really huge. Especially like I had never come from a marketing and sales background or mm. like legal. Yes. Like how do you manage that or finances? I was actually insulted when someone was like, you should go take like a, a business financials course. I'm like, I'm an engineer. Right. I design high How hard is like, it? Yeah. That's math. That's yeah. numbers. I understand. Yeah. Had no idea. So if somebody, if you haven't gone through like formal financial training in business, do it. It's massive. Because it it's is massive. massive. And like the idea of forecasting in your business, so why we're so confident and building our growth is when, if you think of accounting or bookkeeping, that's a statement of things that have already happened in your business. Correct. CFO role mm -hmm. is their goal is to forecast what's going to happen. And you're playing out different scenarios. Like what if we achieve our goal? What if we don't? What if the market slides 30%? What's our cost of capital? Are we leveraging our capital as effective as we can? Right. And go back to HR or yes. Davis companies. Yes. Are we, do we have a strategic hiring plan? What competencies do we need? What levels mm -hmm. and in what order at what point in the year do we need to hire these people on board so that we can successfully achieve our goal? Right. And if you're not doing that, you're just hoping mm -hmm. and you're risking yourself. That's the company that says, Hey, we're too busy. Or, or they're just not responsive. They're saying yes to too much work, but they haven't built a forecast to know that they don't have the people to execute the work. 100%. You gotta have control. And the CVGA program really like kind of en encompassed all that for me. And I, I might be going a little off topic, but there's no topics. Strategic planning was yes. the piece there, right? That's one of the eight core functions. Yes. And this was answering where do you start, right? Like I was trying mm. to fix operations, oh, I was trying right. to fix this, I was trying to fix marketing, and it came back to mission, vision, and values. Missions, your purpose. Yes. Visions, aspirational. It's where you're going. Mm -hmm. um, 
I, I love this part about the aspirational piece. So a vision, you state where your company is going to go in five years. You're literally writing this out in detail. It'd be pages long, like who you work for, where you are, how many people, where does your revenue come from, what are you known for, like super, super detailed. Mm -hmm. And then the key is you write that all in the present tense Yes. because you're getting the entire team to agree to start behaving like that company today. Right. They don't understand why behaving that way matters because they're like, hey, we're a small company right now. Right. Why would we do all this? This is right. big company stuff. So it's like, hey, that's where we're going. So we got to start acting like that today, and that's how we succeed. My favorite metaphor is you just for the job you want, because yeah. you got to embody that before you get it. And I, you know, and I, I had the benefit, I think, of in sales, you learn delayed gratification pretty hard. It was like I got to put a lot of You've effort. You've always in. had variable comp in sales, right? Always had variable comp, and you're always learning and putting out a tremendous amount of output really before you get the ROI. You gotta build your funnel. Exactly. And so, which I think was an awesome, I, fortunate, I, I view it as really fortunate to come up in business that way because now when I'm growing. You, you put in your years or hours to, to learn, right? Exactly, it's like, all right, well I know I gotta eat shit again to get the delayed, and you kinda like, even though I've made it a rung up, it's like, yeah, but the things that got me here still apply. It's, right. al it's almost identical, so. No, I really, I really like how you thought about that. I mean, those eight facets, I mean, it makes me think. It's like, man, you can always do an audit of that stuff. That's like the deep work, I think. That program, so the CVGA program, what I got certified in is yeah. there's a value opportunity profile. Yes. We would come to a company like Davis Companies, sit with your exec team and ask you 400 questions as mm -hmm. a team. And it would yes. rate you across all eight so that you visibly could see how you are. The hardest thing in consulting and finish a in, in fixing a business is getting people to understand that they are something that needs to be fixed. There's a gap. It's a blind spot. There's a gap, yes. And so that, that whole process of going through the eight functions and answering the questions is showing you your blind spot. It's getting buy-in and as linear of a process as mm. possible. We, I will say at our organization, um, for years, we've kind of were stuck at a plateau of revenue in that 40 to 50 million range. I mean, we peaked a little bit, but really 40 ish, mm -hmm. 4, 40, 45. And then when we took the it's time. It's a great business. It is a great business. But you get to a point, I think, where you're like, well, you know, if you're running it, you're like, is it me? What do I have to do to get it? What do we have to do as a leadership team to get to the next level? And it was really documenting in the beginning mission, vision, purpose, like redocumenting it. It's the most important thing you could have, right? And then we hit another kind of, I don't want to say a stall, but we, we didn't wait to stall. That's what I'll say. We changed. We did that work. And then once we kind of got it there, we went after the other seven pieces of it and we Love call it. it our playbook. Yes. Right. And that's been, the his, that's kind of been part of our growth has been like, okay, where we got to level up and yeah. you got to check your ego at the door because no one does everything well. You're absolutely right. It's like superpowers. What's your superpower and what do you suck at? Avoid doing that mm -hmm. and, and getting really candid conversations with the team. So that really, I mean, hearing you talk was like, oh man, we did some of this stuff. This is good. This is good. I mean, awesome. but I still want to get it at a more technical nature. The, the mission piece, right? Like one of the questions that really landed with me was like, how do you motivate somebody if they don't know why they're doing it or where they're trying to go? Mm. Like if we just hire engineers and say, design that building, and then they finish, it's like, design that building. Yeah. Design this building. Endless. They have nothing to look forward to. They have nothing to aspire to achieve. It's mm -hmm. just design building. It becomes a task after the learning. My CEO on, right? calls them pies on the conveyor belt. Pies They're on endless. The They're endless. They're, that is How do never you eat all the away. pies? So if you can reframe, you give them context on business, the purpose, the why, and where you're going, like, 
life mm -hmm. changes. It does. I honestly think you could screw up almost everything else in business if you have those two things right. It's, you're, it's you're get a lot so true because in reality, that is strategic planning, but strategic planning is almost like the tactics to achieve that. That's like the foundation of it. And that's your culture. That's the I mean, culture. that's the Peter that's Drucker culture strategy for breakfast. Hundred You know, like I think so. That really resonates with me too, because oftentimes I'm like, man, we should really put a plan together for this. And I'm like, no, if people are engaged and we're all mission driven, we're gonna be fine. We're gonna have to evolve along the way, but we'll be fine. Smart, so. capable people that are aligned, rowing in the same direction. It, it's it's so true. How how do you um, how do you think about leadership, and how do you think about deploying? Like, what I'm interested in is you've clearly got your shit together. Like in terms of like those table stakes, if you will, mm -hmm. which, you know, from a, from an MBA standpoint. Yes. Um, Two big MBAs here. Right. <laughs> how do you, how do you disseminate that message down? Right. Because I'm, I'm guessing it was easier at five than it was at 10 and easier at 10 than it was at 15. And you're going to, you're going to have to deal with 50 one day. Like how, how do you view that? How do you view the, the delegation or the dissemination of that responsibility and that messaging to the team day in and day out so you can take a vacation? So mission, the mission, the vision, and the values. Yes. The most important thing you can do about a mission, the mistake that we see is, you'll even see like Fortune 100 companies get this wrong, is it'll be a long-winded statement uh, that talks about their people, their clients, uh, their yes. best-in-class service, yeah. like this long-winded thing that was really yeah. like, they tried to sum up their whole business and all the things that people want to hear in one sentence, one wrong, long run-on. Yeah. But what that means is not a single person in the company could sit down and write that. And if, if like the 10 leaders in the company can't sit down and all write that on a piece of paper, it is meaningless to the operation of the company. A hundred percent. So short, concise, memorable. Mm -hmm. So our mission statement is a better experience. Ah. We're solving for our clients, for our team and for our clients. So for our clients, we're talking about that career hurdle, right? Like only being driven, like getting into projects. We're taking them beyond the projects. We're teaching them about value so that they could be successful anywhere. Like with us, whatever they want to do in life, we hope they're, if they choose to work with us, they're gonna be a better person for it. Mm. And with our clients, there's the, the typical hurdles and the pain points of our industry. And our value proposition is essentially solving them. Uh -huh. We're gonna de-risk your development, right. and we're not gonna make your job harder than it already is. Right. You have a lot of other things to worry about, we're a corner that you don't so have. So you made sure that no matter who reads that, it works for them. And. Some listen to this podcast might say, and some of the early um, criticism I got is, what does that mean? It's too vague. It has purpose when you use it. Right. I reference it all the time. Right. I reference it daily. Every Monday meeting, I, I have an example, and we talk about what it is to be a better experience. Mm. Like, you communicate using it as a tool. Like, are you making decisions? Our core values, embrace growth, be a partner, be responsive. Mm -hmm. Those are all core things that create the behaviors right. critical to our culture and critical to delivering our value proposition to our team mm -hmm. and to our clients. Those three things aren't something I wrote over a weekend. That was like months right. of books and like lining up all these great like values that you could come up with and thinking like, does this actually create a critical behavior to our success? And, and so getting it down must have been the most difficult part of that. Because I had the benefit of doing it with the group. Yeah, it was hard. Yeah, wow. I listened to building a story brand on repeat for like three months straight. Mm. I really like it though. It makes me feel like we, we, it's been four years. It makes me feel like ours could be curated again or refined is probably a better way of saying it. I, I love this stuff. I'd love to read them. Yeah.
I'll, I'll show you right after. I feel like, do you, so you didn't answer my question, but I think you did, sorry. I think you did, <laughs> though, because for you, you don't worry about disseminating the culture because Correct. it's built and the behavior isn't. You want to, the most fulfilling thing is when our clients describe working with us with our own language. Better experience, yeah. Better experience, responsive, like right. they're, they're using our words back to us. That makes a lot of sense. And so it, when they're short, concise, and memorable, and you actually use them when you communicate and make decisions, yes. they become ingrained in the subconscious of the company. Mm -hmm. And communicating that constant importance, like we're talking about it here, how like we both agree that they're super important if you're consistently building like your core group as you continue to grow, like, cause you're right at 50, hundred people, the new people in aren't going to get to talk to me every day. They're not right. going to hear me preach every day. So it's got to be throughout. And the only way to do that at scale is with short, concise. It's, it's so true. I love that. I love, it. I want to end it there, but you're, you've, you've got plenty of words of wisdom. Anything you would share with people, maybe recent high school or people getting into college or even recent college grads that are on there career pathing journey who maybe didn't have the same level of uh, clarity of what they'd like to do in life? What, what, what advice would you have for folks like that? Find a way to make learning a part of your daily life. Make it painless so that it's something that you can't justify not doing. You have to make it infinitely easier to do than not do. So for me, like I said, in high school, in college, I did not care to read a single book. Right. In 2014, I made the commitment to starting to listen to, I started listening to audiobooks to try yes. to better myself and learn how to run a business. I would say I average at least an hour a day, every single day since 2014. That's pretty amazing. And that compounding, atomic habit. I, I am a better person, friend, husband, yeah. father, <laughs> father, yeah, and then leader and colleague, right? Mm -hmm. And supporter of my client's success. Don't you also find that like, I, I think because so many of us had uh, negative experience. It's kind of like you said, I didn't like writing and I avoided it and I didn't want to read at that point in time. But I also found that like you got there through the commitment of like, I'm going to give this another try and I'm going to try a different medium that works for you. But I also bet it was the topic. You found something that you liked to learn, could apply, and that becomes insatiable. Yes. You had a why. I had purpose. Yeah, that's what it right. is. We were, we were talking point. like, I, I didn't care to write. I had to take the SATs multiple times to get good like English and writing scores to yes. go to the college that I want, and I would smash math every time. And fast forward to today, I've gone through all this engineering growth, and then I realized like I don't actually want to engineer every day, but I love the business of engineering and yes. navigating buildings and building teams. So I, I would say I'm now in the business of engineering more mm -hmm. than I am an engineer. And part of achieving our growth and scale is we have to build brand awareness. like. Mm. Um, you ever hear people complain it's hard to find good people? Yes. Good people are hard to find? Never heard that before. Um, yeah, I, I imagine you have, yeah. right? Well, have you ever, have they ever considered, like, what are we doing to attract good people? Right. Like, if you're not telling anybody and no one knows you exist, like, why in the world would A-level talent come to your company? It's and if, so true. If you can't answer that and you're not broadcasting that on a daily or weekly basis, like, you're the problem. Not good people. It's good people are everywhere. It's actually one of the biggest competitive advantages that is out there that it, that are, that's untapped huge lever for us it's insane our one of my biggest lessons in business was recruiting and hiring and onboarding mm. um that, those were our biggest mistakes at h&o early on and we have since we followed the book who by jeff smart and randy street love who it's our whole interview process you, you we, to a t pretty much yeah we use a lot of their questions it's and we have improved 
between broadcasting and creating brand awareness mm -hmm. and that process, we have been like A player after A player after A player, and it is a massive lever. Because right now, we're also, we're also pretty deep in like the project manager leading projects right now, which yes. is the hardest person to land, and we are deep. That is gonna fulfill our growth for like the next 24 months. Right, it's a massively critical person. And now we can, now we're focused on like, if that five to seven year professional is hard to find, you got to hire them five to seven years before you need them and develop them. So now we can focus on building that next line of leaders from like out of college on, right? Where it's a lot easier to place. Right. Oh, that's that's so interesting. I love the book. Who? It's awesome. We, we implemented a lot of it. That and then and then getting understanding how much bias exists. I think in interviewing is. Have you read The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt? Yeah. Yeah. I think you'd, I think you'd really enjoy it. But it really talks about how we perceive bias and how mm -hmm. rationale doesn't really exist it is kind of part of the premise of the book but w behavioral tools that exist out there they do work they do work they work. They, they work and it's a and it's it sucks that like when you're first doing it you're like i, I can hire and then yeah. you kind of buy in and it really does make such an impact on your organization <laughs> right. when you just psychology is like one of the most important things to understand so true the psychology of of managing, of marketing, of sales, of negotiating. Yes. Um, recruit. It's all the same psychology. Yes. Just different topics. And the craziest thing, I, I just got to, I'll, I'll end with this. I got a presentation uh, at a round table I was at about interviewing and about the bias you have. And basically the premise is when you first meet someone, within three to 10 seconds, you've decided whether you like them or not. And you spend the entire next half hour rationalizing why. Confirmation bias. It has, and it has zero to do with their skills and I just like talk about the slow down to speed up stuff it's like just if you leave with one thing you're like okay well what am I rushing them you know like to achieve that outcome so Ren's dude you're the man thanks for having me it's really awesome, really appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll, we'll do this later love to awesome thanks man thanks bro Bye.